are joined again by Patrick Ryan. You can find him on uh, what some consider to be the greatest Instagram account of this week at the P Ryan collection. And you can also follow him on Twitter at P Ryan, Texas, Patrick, thank you again for joining me. Uh, so let's talk about, before we jump into this Michael Jordan card that you, you you've sold here for 151,000 and some change. Let's talk about your Instagram account here. You are now the, uh, the pumper police or the, the people's collector. I don't, I, you got so many nicknames. It's hard to follow here. What's, what's going on with your Instagram account right now? Well, you know, there, there's a couple different things. Firstly, you know, I'm not in the business of buying and selling sports cards. It's, it is truly a hobby. And there have been a lot of really good dealers uh, and people who are in the business who've been really frustrated with a lot of the behavior they're seeing from really prominent uh, sports card trading accounts. And they just really can't speak out because they have to do business with these people under certain circumstances. And so I'm kind of like the voice of like the knowledgeable dealer slash collector, but also, and I can be the voice because I don't have to do business with anybody because it's, it's not my day job. And um. The other main thing is like, look, there's a lot of new people getting into the hobby and they're just really thirsty for information. And so they see an account with 20,000 followers and the guy has a massive collection and a really big bankroll. And he starts talking about a, a prospect. They might not realize that that guy's got a lot of inventory or he's really just putting something out there just to put something out there. Um, and it, it can be a little dangerous. And so I'm just trying to reel some of that behavior in as, as best as I possibly can, because there are ways to go about building a collection very safely. There are ways to go about flipping cards very safely. Um, and, and that's really just my goal. So protecting the new uh, collector slash investor is what your main goal is of the page, I guess. Yes. It, it, I would, well, so it's for, first it was just showing off my collection. So right. going back to the genesis of the account was like, I live in a, in a townhome, right? I'm a single guy and I have a lot of cool stuff that I, I really just can't enjoy because I don't have space to display it all. So I was like, this page will be a way for me just to enjoy my collection. Um, so that's why most of it's memorabilia and the pictures. It's not really cards. And, but then on the stories, I started talking about cards just because the hobby was really starting to boom. And I just wanted to add my perspective wherever I could. So that was really the genesis. Now it is about providing an alternative voice um, and trying to help people build balanced portfolios. And I said this in, in my follow-up video to the, the video that kind of went viral, for lack of a better term. I'm a part-timer. Like, this is, this is, I'm Logan Paul beating Floyd Mayweather. I have no business taking, 80, uh, taking an $80,000 lick out of the hobby. Is, there's a lot of people who are just set on this being a, a bubble. Um, and that like cards will have to go away again into sort of like the crevices of the, the mainstream, you know, world, quite frankly. And I just don't think it has to be that way. You know, the last bust we had back in, let's just say right before the mid nineties, you know, serial numbering wasn't a thing. Parallels weren't a thing. Grading certainly wasn't a thing. Those three things alone can make this a much more sustainable hobby and investment. But if a lot of people get really, really burned, they're just going to leave it. And um, then all of a sudden, the hobby is kind of back to being more of like a less mainstream thing. All right, let's jump into what everybody wants to hear about is this $151,000 car. You know, you and I have a lot in common. And one of them is I've sold a Jordan PSA card as well. 
but mine was missing a zero at the end. It was a PSA one. Uh, and I sold it for about for 2000 bucks. I sold it for, <laughs> but you were in it at what? Like a thousand. Uh, I think I was in for a little more than that. I think I, I made a couple hundred bucks on it. Okay. And All right. my main reason for buying it is I just wanted to have one in my hand yeah. and I wanted to look, it was beat to shreds. Okay. Um, and so you sold one for 150 some thousand, which I remember when I first started the business, that was like the annual sales for the company, you know? Right. And so I just think it's so cool that in 2020, one card can sell for that much as the, you know, the most record for PSA 10. So for a Jordan 1986 Fleer. So talk about this card, why you decided to sell it and the history of you buying it and kind of that process quickly. Gotcha. So, I mean, first thing about the card is that, you know, this, this Jordan 86 Fleer really got stuck at a $30,000 price point for a number of years. It was really sort of weird. And I actually I bought one and sold one and made like a couple grand, but it was like bought for 26, sold for 28 kind of thing. Cause I'd gotten another one. Um, the one that I have in my possession, um, I'm in it at a much lower cost basis. So I've got the one and then I had another one, sold it. And then this summer there was this phenomenon around the last dance. And a lot of people just felt it was the right time to sell their Jordan PSA 10 86 Fleer. And, um, you know, because the market right before the last dance, there were a couple sales of like 85, 90,000. And so a lot of people were like, well, look, it's going to go that much higher during or right after the last dance. And look, I don't blame these collectors. They might be in this thing at like $5,000, $10,000. And look, there was just a lot at one time. And uh, I bought one via golden auctions for 80,000. And then I bought the one that sold for the record via PWCC for 62,000. Um, and I actually, when I made my bids, like they were not last minute bids. They were bids a couple days before the auction ended. So like, I actually, like when I woke up both mornings, I was like, I actually won those. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Like I got two of these things. Um, the first one I immediately put back in the next golden auction. And, and I, I personally netted 105, you know, so people, sometimes when we talk about these numbers, we forget the auction houses take a pretty big cut. Um, and then this next one, um, I really wanted to sell it in Sotheby's auction that, that Ken Golden had put together, mainly because look, and I've been very transparent about this, it, it was, it's a soft 10, meaning that the centering is not 50-50. It's really about 59-41, which is right on sort of the edges there. But I felt like an international market, which Sotheby's has, would be a good spot for a card like that, where they're just like, oh, PSA 10, PSA 10. And it, and it, it went for 151, and then I took home 120. Um, so the way I viewed it is, you know, I, I had 140 in the two cards and I got back to 220, which is obviously uh, a pretty good return. Um, I do want to say though, like, I think there's still room in the card. Um, and you know, if I wasn't a collector and I was purely an investor, I probably wouldn't have sold either. Uh, but I wanted the funds to diversify my collection a little bit. So that's, that's sort of the story of how I got the cards and why I sold them. So that leads me to my next question is any plans that you can share with us that are going to be happening because of the sale of these cards? Sure. Well, so uh, Heritage and Golden both have some really exciting auctions uh, the next couple of days. Uh, and, and so something just like with dealing with auction houses, you know, firstly, folks, you've got to get pre-approved well in advance. We are now seeing a lot of cards move to those auction houses just because eBay's policies are just not very friendly for sellers. 
Um, so that's going to be a continuing trend. So you got to get pre-approved. That's one of the things is like, you can't just log in and start throwing bids around, which is great, honestly. Right. Um, so that's one thing. And then also, you know, something you have to do is like, you have to get your bid in before like the last 12 hours, like so that you can actually be eligible to continue bidding. So don't get caught off guard. You're like, oh, this auction ends and I'm registered, I'm ready. The auction ends in 12 hours, I'm fine. Every auction house has very different rules around when you need to get an initial bid in. Um, so just kind of keep that stuff in mind. Now, look, there's a couple, there's probably like four cards and I'll talk about them after the auction that I'm very, very interested in. But I'm be honest with you, Matt, like I have some real concerns right now about the high end of the market. Um, and here's why, uh, is that we have Rally Road, which is one of those fractional companies. They have some competitors. And then I've been made aware of three very large sports card investment funds. And this is just a lot of money where, you know, the person bidding and the person managing the cards, they're not really fully at risk for it. So, you know, you've got the fractional companies that are able to sell stuff very easily. And then you've got these big investment funds where it's not one person being responsible for it. I think I'm just going to have to, I'm probably going to get just blown out of the water, quite frankly. Um, and, and I think that, you know, that's just, that's just, that's just what it is. Um, so we'll see there, there's, there's a couple that I really want to make sure I win, but it's tough. You know, it's tough when you know something's selling for a lot more than it's inherent value. Yeah, that's a good point that you're bringing up there. It's kind of like the new, I guess, venture capitalist funds for sports cards now. And I can see a lot of the big players kind of pooling their money together that maybe don't want to be overly ledged up, you know, and, and they don't want to be overly risked out on a card. And they can partner up with a couple of their buddies that they trust and create kind of some of these, these funds. That way they're not too exposed on one particular card. Right. That, that's a great way of looking at it. And I think that as we look at the market – I mean, I go back and forth on this literally every day. I mean, on one hand, I knew a lot of this stuff was underappreciated. And that's why I was buying a decent amount of cards three, four years ago. Just inherently, a lot of stuff felt underappreciated. Um, and then now, like some of the price we see on stuff, like there's no historical framework. So it's really hard to like try to compare stuff since everything's just going up, up and up. So sometimes I try to look at stuff from the 1960s and 70s and say, well, I could buy this current player or I could buy like Pete Rose, you know? And so I try to do that a little bit and it's still, all of it's still getting really, really wonky. Um, but there could still be a lot of people coming into the hobby. So, you know, with as some, as rare as some of these are with only 312 Jordan PSA 10s, I mean, is it now with the number of people in the hobby inherently a $250,000 card? My gut is yes, but really in five or 10 years. Um, but I think we're going to see it get pumped up. Uh, we're going to probably see a Gary V type guy come out soon and say that the 86 Fleer is a $250,000 card. Um, and then it'll, it'll become that. Um, and that's sort of dangerous. So, but on one hand, like I said, I think I can see the thesis of the market being able to keep going up a little bit and be sustainable. Um, but then the other fear is like, look, if the stock market comes down and these investment guys have capital calls in other parts of their business, they might have to sell off some of these cards. Um, and then there won't be as many buyers because people log into their E-Trade accounts and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm down 30% from three months ago. No, I'm not going to be buying this high-end card. You know, so I have some concerns about the tie to the stock market. I used to not think that way, but now that we're seeing it's institutional money, 
we now, I now do believe there's going to be a correlation between the stock market and the high-end card market. I mean, the current player prism optic type stuff, that's still very performance driven. And that's a different sort of, it's a completely different business, quite frankly. Um, so on one hand, there's plenty of people who could get into cards and the market could keep growing. Um, and then the other hand is like, look, if, if, if we have an economic a stock market issue, we could see some problems. Gary V, good or bad for the sports card market? Gary V is great for the sports card market. Um, but it's he just needs to be a little bit more careful with what he kind of talks about. You know, Darren Ravel is obviously one of my best friends. He did call him out on Twitter and was like, you know, he, you know, he showed a Mookie Betts card. And the thing like immediately went from like 250 to 550. Um, and then, of course, these things do then settle back down. And the real problem there is there are people who bought at 550 who just don't really know how to read a pop report. They don't really know, like, the bandwidth of what a card like that should sell for. And my fear is that a lot of these, some of the new collectors, like, taking a $200 hit, like, they just really can't. You know, like, it just, it, like, that, that, that wipes them out of the hobby. That's what I'm really trying to prevent. Like, someone who could build a really fun and sustainable collection, but really can't take a $200 hit. That's the person I don't want to get hurt. Um, and so Darren called him out, quite frankly, and Gary did kind of change his behavior for a while, you know? Um, so I, I, I just, it's like, he's great for exposure. He's great for sharing insights. He's got a lot of kids motivated in flipping cards. Um, and, I, and again, I think the flipping is great. I talked about it a little bit on my Instagram today, but like, <laughs> flip the stuff that makes sense. Like there's certain players where you only, you only want to flip their graded cards. There's other players where you really don't want to be chasing their graded cards. So I'm just hopefully trying to get a little bit more of that information out there because again, for this hobby to really thrive, we have to have tons of new people who maybe have a budget, an annual budget of a thousand dollars on cards. And then also we have to have people who are coming to the market have maybe an annual budget of a hundred thousand dollars for cards. And, and I think that everybody can be safe and have fun, but they've just got to be really careful about how they process information. All right, last question here. Uh, you know, you're big on getting the newer guys, buying them raw and getting them graded. Yes. We've talked about that, that Jordan 1986 Fleer card. Has everybody missed the boat on buying that card raw and getting a decent grade on that? Would you suggest ever buying that card raw? I know there's a lot of fakes in the 1986 Fleer out there. So, so it's interesting. It's one of the few cards you're not allowed to sell raw on eBay. So, I mean, that, that tells you one thing. Jordan, yeah. I mean, it's crazy. I, I did uh, not know that. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, Jordan won't sign them now because he's afraid of signing a fake. Um, so there is that issue. Now you never say never. I mean, one of the fun things about the hobby, I do like it when the hobby gets really unique media attention, like when there's like a, an, a storage a storage closet find or whatever. I think, I think a couple of years ago, someone found a sealed case of the 86 wax. Um, so look now if, if you could hunt it, right? Like, I mean, I, I think that people like a lot of the people that are getting into the card market are actually people who do really well at garage sales and kind of like, you know, discount warehouses type stuff. I mean, I, there's probably stuff buried somewhere, right? I mean, uh, so it'd be a thing like if you're actively like looking for things to like, you know, old action figures or concert t-shirts, if you're already in that mode, just keep your eye out, you know, and, you know, but, but I wouldn't invest a lot of time. If you're not actively in the business of like buying that kind of stuff at like warehouses and garage sales, 
don't like just go on a hunt. It, it, you know, I mean, for, for the 86 Fleer Jordan. Now, um, we've seen some good ones come out of wax. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a decent amount of sealed wax out there. Um, so, like, if you really had a wild hair, um, you could buy into one of those breaks. I mean, I, I did it once. Um, I got really close uh, to the fact that had the Jordan. Um, but the other thing I will say in general, and I talked about this a couple of days ago, is like the 86 Fleer wax price is it's now actually trailing its value relative to the new price. So wax prices oftentimes trail the PSA 10 market. Sometimes they trail them for a really long time and, and they don't correct. Um, it was kind of like what we were talking about. There were a couple products, some are like 2014 Tops Update. The Mookie Bets had now become like a $300, $400 card, but the wax wasn't selling as if that type of card was in the product. Um, so that happens from time to time. And then always what happens is like the big wax dealers overcorrect, and then it becomes a completely bad buy to buy the wax. So interestingly, I'd have to look at some numbers. I mean, maybe it's not. I mean, it's stupid to buy buy a, a, a wax pack for $2,500 with a, I guess you've got a one in, I mean, that's the thing. Maybe you have a one in six chance or you have a one in seven chance, depending on how lucky your box is. If you look at the mathematical odds, that actually might not be horrible relative to the value, even of a nine. It's but not as bad as I think, would think it would be. No, it's not. I, I, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do the math because now look, the other thing is some of the wax boxes, they're not in great shape. So like, you want one where the, all the corners are. Right. It, that's right off the bat. And it's got to be one that um, baseball card exchange authenticated. Now, here's what's crazy. What people don't realize, like when you see these, these like 86 Fleer boxes selling for 100 grand or whatever, is that Steve at baseball card exchange, he actually opens all the packs or he opens like the vast majority of them because the set was completely collated the same in every box. So he has to go through a certain number of packs to see the exact order, mm -hmm. exact order of the stickers. And then he's able to indicate, hey, these packs are all authentic, but they weren't in the right order in the box. So that gets one type of label. Then there's another type of label of like, yeah, this, this, this is a full box. It's in the correct order. And then there's the final one, which, you know, it came from a sealed case. So before he even dug in, the case had the right seal. I'm sort of surprised more people haven't gotten into that authentication game. It's really just this guy, Steve, in Illinois, authenticating all this stuff. Good for him to maintain that, that business. So, like, look, like, if you really had a wild hair, maybe one of your big bets paid off in the card market or the stock market, the wax probably is going to trail the value of this card for, for, for a couple months at least. So may, maybe it's not horrible if, if one of these big companies launches a uh, – a break or something, you know, try to do the math on it though. Don't just do it blindly. So uh, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that angle. So yeah, there, there are PSA tens there somewhere. You know? <laughs> you know, there are a couple left to be had. Yeah. The, the pop report right now, I think it's like 5% are PSA tens. Like it's just extremely low. Yeah. You know, and it, it's fascinating. It's one of those things where I think PSA initially just made the decision of like, we're going to make this a tough card. Right. Um, and they're just going to have higher standards for it. So it's funny. One of my friends uh, texted me hey, the Wayne Gretzky OPG just sold for like 1.2 million or whatever. And he was like, how is this a PSA 10? Cause it has really rough edges. So I had to walk him through the fact of like, look, that car are very lenient on relatively speaking because all of them have rough edges. Um, that's just the way that OPG set was cut. And they also have a, a tolerance for worse centering. So as PSA starts, you know, 
grading more and more of a product, they might change sort of their parameters uh, for what is a 10 and what's not. Um, so that's certainly certainly the case with, with, with that card. And I just think with the Jordan that I just think that they're just, they've always been tough with it, you know? All right, well, Patrick, thank you again for coming on the show and spending a few, uh, few moments with it. I feel like you're like my co-host now. You know, this, is, <laughs> this is the third time you've been on here, and I always appreciate you're one of the rare guys that will come on, and, and, and it's, I think it's because you are a true collector, and you really do enjoy this hobby, and I think that's why – not think – I know that's why your Instagram page is so popular now is people can see the honesty, and they're just – like you said, they're just thirsty for knowledge – but legitimate knowledge on both sides. You know, you, right. can, you, can, you can give knowledge in here and say, but this, this also may be true because two, th- you know, two things can be true at the same time. Exactly. And, and that's a good point. There are two different sides can be completely true, but it's about like where you are. Like if you're only a collector, not an investor, then this, this piece of advice might not be true. And then vice versa. If you're only an investor, not a collector, this piece of advice might not be true. So I'm just really hoping that people can start deciphering what they're hearing. Because again, now, like I said, with, with both Sports Card Investor and Gary Vee and a lot of these other accounts that are really popular, they're not saying the wrong thing. They're just not giving enough context or enough sort of a, of a warning. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to here's an angle to look at this from. Um, and that's all. And that way everyone can stay safe and build collections. And we're all still doing this in 20 years. It's, it's like those uh, Facebook and Instagram little things you see about the election that pop up. Anytime someone says, we just have a, a P Ryan thing that pops up and says, this fact check, this may be partially true. <laughs> well, like just today, I mean, I, I was realizing, I was like, oh my gosh, we have NBA preseason games today. And like, Ron's not playing. None of the big names are going to play. So a lot of these lower tier guys are going to get a lot of minutes. And if you look at their, their box scores, yeah, Darius Baisley might score 24 points tonight, right. but it's also because he played two, two times as many minutes as he's going to do during the regular season. So you really need to look at that. That's like a 12 point game, you know? So I just hope people just read between the lines and, you know, buy with what, buy with their heart, buy with their budget. And I think everything will be good to go. Yep. Buy with that budget and heart. Absolutely. Well, you guys can follow him over there on Instagram if you aren't already at the P Ryan collection. Make sure you tune in for those Instagram stories uh, late at night there. Don't be staying up late. My, my <laughs> wife was watching with someone that goes, is he drunk? You know, and I go, no, he's not drinking. He's just, just kind of how he is, you know, sometimes. Yeah. So I also give him a follow over there on Twitter at P Ryan, Texas. Patrick, thanks again for coming on. I always appreciate it. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. You're welcome, man. All right, thank you again for watching the interview with Patrick. Always appreciate him coming on. Since we spoke, uh, his card has actually been beaten. It was just recently sold for almost about $200,000, another uh, Jordan PSA 10. So we held the record for just a little bit of while there, but still, nonetheless, a great, great sale. Make sure you guys give him a follow over there on Instagram. Make sure you watch his stories. They are absolutely epic for entertainment and educational purpose. Also, check out my website, powersportsmemorabilia.com. Also, give me a follow over there on Instagram, at Powers Autographs. See you on the next episode.